Good morning, and thank you for being with us here at Thompson Presbyterian Church. Let me start by saying Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, um, to my mom, to my wife. Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to the spiritual moms. Not only uh, does God give us uh, our earthly moms to care for us and love us, but also spiritual moms. I know growing up in the church, I had many uh, ladies that I would call or, or look to uh, as moms, and they would nurture me and grow me. So thank you uh, for all the moms out there that are involved uh, in helping raise the children of the church. Happy Mother's Day to you. Now, turn with me in your Bible, if you will. We're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And the passage this morning we'll be looking at is Paul the Apostle speaking to the church in Galatia and continuing his conversation with them about this turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and to uh, slavery, to the law, and looking to it as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we will see from this warning of Paul what happens, and then we will look at how this has worked out through the church in our lifetime and before, and let us pray that uh, we don't continue uh, what the Galatians are doing in the church today. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Again, this is the word of the Lord. I would encourage you to open up your copy of God's word and follow along as we go throughout the sermon today. Galatians 5, 1 through 6 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not uh, submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning on this wonderful day, thinking not only upon the mothers that you have given us, uh, the teaching and the training that they have uh, given us, that uh, you have worked through them, Uh, But, Lord, we also think of uh, your hand, your sovereign hand, your hand of providence over all things, even in our families, in our lives, how you have worked things so that we may come to faith in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for bringing us into the faith, those uh, that are called by your name. We ask now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that you would encourage us today, that we would again hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And take it to heart to believe it yet again. That you would grow us in our faith, O Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint the lips of this humble, broken vessel, your preacher, who you have called to proclaim your message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I be faithful to that calling today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many of you may or may not know uh, many things about me, but one thing you probably don't know about me is that um, I actually have been kicked out of school. Uh, There was a time in my life when um, I, 
evidently was a rebel when I was not following the rules and regulations of the school. And I remember very vividly, even to this day, at a young age, uh, being kicked out of school. And let me tell you a little bit about that. I remember sitting in the principal's office, waiting as the call went out to my mom to come and to pick me up. You see, we attended a small uh, Bible college, uh, my parents did, and at the time we were enrolled in the elementary school there. And I went to school one day and uh, got dressed and got all ready and walked to school like normal, wasn't really thinking. But it wasn't long before the teacher had called me out and said, you cannot be here. And I was very confused at the time and I really wasn't sure why. And so I asked, well, why, why are you sending me home? And her response was, because look at your pants, look at what you are wearing. I guess that day I'd chosen to, wore, to wear uh, camouflage uh, uh, pants. And I don't know what the dress code was there. I'm not sure what the, uh, what the, ramific- uh, what the parameters were for what we should be wearing what we shouldn't. Uh, but somehow I got away with wearing camouflage pants to school, and so that was a no-no, and so I went home. Didn't think much of it for many, many years, but I reflect upon it today, and I wonder, what was the purpose of that regulation, that rule? And then it makes me think about the institution that we were at, the school. There tended to be uh, a very legalist mindset, a very... um, legalist mentality when it came to practices of the church. You see, also in that very same school, uh, at the upper grade levels, the high school and the college levels, women had to wear skirts instead of pants. Couples, uh, even though they were dating and and maybe it was appropriate and they were at the right age, maybe courting one another for marriage, still had to be 14 inches apart. They couldn't touch There was no public display of affection, if you will. There were many rules and regulations with this institution. And so I don't come to uh, bash this institution. What I come to question, though, and wonder is, are we, as a body of believers, a church, are we leaning toward legalism, which is basically just uh, placing obligations on to people, and crushing Christian liberty and and the ability to discern things through the Holy Spirit by putting rules and regulations over grace. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. I wonder, though, if the reason that maybe the church has declined in America today is that there's been an emphasis on legalism, obligation, or emphasis on law, Rules and regulations versus the grace of the gospel. You see, what the, Paul is concerned here with in the church of, of Galatia is that they are doing the same thing. They are moving toward this circumcision party, this idea that one must be circumcised to be a Christian. And he goes on in, in many ways here that we'll see, and he challenges this church to say, don't turn away from the gospel. You see, when we go toward this idea of legalism or an emphasis on the law of God, we neglect the grace of the gospel. We turn away from Christ Jesus and towards something that God has not intended for us to do. 
this school that I attended, this university that my parents went to, this Bible college, is no longer in existence. It's actually a shell of buildings. And I wonder if that is because of their emphasis on legalism rather than the gospel. And my fear is for us as God's people that we too might become distracted or removed from our calling by God because we are basically off task, we're off mission. You know, the mission of the church, as we know, is to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if we are called to be those members who are leading people to the gospel, sharing the gospel, if that is our mission, then are we being distracted by these other obligations? Are we adding things to the gospel? Are we taking people from this idea of freedom in Christ to a yoke of slavery? Submitting them again. Are we doing that in our own life? That's what I'm also wondering Are there times when I am so worried about the rules and regulations of the faith, whether we're doing it right or wrong, that I neglect the fact that the gospel is central and the most important thing in the life of the Christian? Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. We've talked about this. We've preached on this. I'm going to remind you again today that it's the the faith in Jesus Christ that brings salvation. That's what Paul is pushing. That's what Paul has been preaching and teaching. We read in the book of Acts where Paul is going around and he's teaching and he's preaching on this very thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom of the gospel. And now for many verses in this epistle, he's been writing on this very thing. And go to Galatians 5 verse 1 here. It's this freedom in Christ. That's where Christians find freedom. Where they have been set free from the bondage, the wrath of God, the bondage of sin. And stand firm, therefore, he says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's almost as if we sometimes as Christians add a third category in here when, as I've been reminded recently, there really are just two (laughs) We are either under this freedom in Christ, living in God's grace, or we're living under the law, under this yoke of slavery. Which is it? Well, as a church, as a body of believers, we must be very careful in our thought, in our speech, in our conduct, in the things that we implement, the way that we do ministries, the way that we preach and teach, so that we are not damaging our mission. We are not damaging what God is trying to do in spreading the gospel. We are not contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, over the years, the church has seen its share of a turning away from the gospel. We see it here, for instance. The very first thing we see is Paul dealing with the Galatians in light of the circumcision party. This party, as we read about in Acts 15, that comes and says, listen, you you have to be circumcised in order to be a part of the covenant family. You must be circumcised. And Paul's argument has been, is, and and Peter and the disciples uh, worked this out in the Jerusalem council. They, they decided and realized, no, no, the only thing that saves is faith in Jesus Christ. Christ alone saves, and not these other obligations keeping these things of the law. 
And so Paul is very clear here and, and lays out what happens. That in this covenant with Abraham, uh, this con- in the context of the covenant of Abraham and this circumcision that was given back in Genesis, this, this really is what Paul has in mind when he's speaking on these verses. And what he has in mind is, in the covenant context, we must understand the law. We must understand the covenant. We must understand what Christ fulfilled in fulfilling both the law and the covenant. What Christ has done for us. And Paul has spent a lot of time reminding us what Christ has done for us, that we may live free in Christ, not under this yoke of slavery. But Paul here is warning the Galatians, and I think he's warning us as well. And it's very timely that we are reading this, I think, in a time of the church and where we are today. We need to be very careful of causing people to turn from the gospel, to turn to the law, which is a yoke. Look at what Paul says, and it's very harsh and and, uh, yet very um, important language. Verse 1, he calls uh, this turning away from the gospel, he calls it a yoke of slavery and not submitting again to this yoke of slavery. Remember, we talked about being brought away from that, Christ redeeming us from being under that yoke. And all the work that Christ did, when we turn back to that, we're denying the work that Christ has done. We're somehow turning back to the law. And Paul says, when you do this, look at verse 2. Christ will be then of no advantage to you. Now, I don't know how many of you are really awake to hear this, but Christ will be of no advantage to you. That should cause us concern. How is it that a Christian can have Christ as no advantage? Well, it's when you turn from the free offer of the gospel and you turn to the law. Wake up, dear Christian. And then in verse 4, we see again more harsh language, that when you do this, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, he says, you have fallen away from grace. Now let's note one thing. He hasn't said we have fallen away from salvation. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is you are falling away from living in the grace, from understanding and receiving the grace, the gospel offered to you freely. In faith. That's why he adds verse 6. But what I want you to see here is when we turn away from these very free understandings of the gospel, these understandings of the gospel given to us, the redemptive work of Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection, when we turn away from that and we turn to the law, we are no different than the circumcision party. And so Paul is addressing this circumcision, these folks that were turning people away. And I think back to that church, that community, the school in which I was turned away. And I thank God that I was not hurt by that in a way that um, moved me away in my faith. That it was not something that moved me from understanding the gospel. But today I do wonder why that Church isn't around, and I ask myself, well, maybe it's because they misunderstood the gospel. Maybe it's because they weren't focused on the gospel. Maybe God said moving in this direction is no different than moving in 
like the circumcision party into Galatia and turning people away from the true gospel. And I wonder if that's not true for a lot of churches today that are no longer in existence. That they've turned away from the grace. That they focus on rules and regulation. When I grew up in the church, I know I remember hearing a lot about rules and regulations. And of course, as a a youngster um, growing up in the church, that's really where you're going to focus. I understand that. But I think one of the things that was missing in a lot of the churches that I grew up in is the understanding of the grace offered to us in the gospel. This really wrapping my head around it and, and wrestling with it in my heart and believing it. And somehow, even though uh, all those things were what I remember, I know God was preaching grace, and I understood it and believed in Him. But what I want to point out here is that churches, brothers and sisters, when we do this, we are leading people away from the gospel of grace into a yoke of slavery. We need to be very careful of doing that in our own life. We need to be very careful of having a legalistic approach in our speech, and our conduct, so that the world sees it. So that they are turned off. So damage is done rather than healing through the gospel of grace. But it didn't stop there, right, with the circumcision party. Remember also we see this throughout um, the uh, medieval church and the, the Roman Catholic church. When they started uh, taking all of these additions to the gospel, and over time continued to build up things uh, like uh, indulgences, in which the reformers were pushing back against the names like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, who we're, we will study a lot of because we are ARP and come out of that tradition. And so uh, he's also one of my favorites to study. But these men stood against the Roman Catholic Church, not because they were rebellious, not because they just didn't like the way that uh, the pastor or the priest was doing anything. No, they did this because what was going on in the Roman Catholic Church was not biblical. It was adding to the gospel of grace, grace, much like the church in Galatia. And this idea of indulgences, let's look at the term here. In the Roman Catholic Church, an indulgence is a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. I think about that statement for just a moment. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, it should cause you some concern. Because what I believe Scripture to teach, and what Paul is teaching, is that the punishment for sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And if we understand the gospel, we know that to be true, and our faith is in that that I am no longer being punished for my sins because that was placed on Christ at the cross. And so for me then to have to go to the church, to have anything placed on me, and the the definition continues, a recipient of an indulgent must perform an act to receive it. And so if there's something offered to me outside of the gospel, some other obligation like circumcision, And I must perform an act to receive this um, lack of punishment, this freedom from punishment. Then I am subjugating what we are reading here in Galatians 5. That it's not Christ who does it. That it's something else. And at the end of the day, it's, it's me and my actions who then earn a removal of this punishment 
for my sin. But that's not what Scripture teaches. And so that's what the Reformers were against. That's what they fought against. That's what they were preaching and teaching against. Knox and Calvin taught that every Lord's Day should be a celebration of the resurrection. They revolted against the calendar, these days of obligations that were laid out by the Roman Catholic Church. They said, no, 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 we, we don't celebrate these things. And the reason is we, we celebrate every Sunday the resurrection. We don't need an Easter. We don't need uh, other days to focus our attention. Th- those days of obligation are no longer required. They, they are not required as we read in Galatians 5. Nothing added to the gospel. So they revolted against that and they were beginning to preach and teach against that. And they built movements around this. And we see the Protestant Reformation come out of this. One such tale is um, on August 7th, 1959. We know that John Knox uh, went back to uh, Scotland. He was asked to come back to Scotland out of exile. Knowing that the church... Protestant church was being persecuted, that Christians who believed in Christ Jesus and faith alone didn't believe in indulgences um, at the time. Those folks were being persecuted and killed. And so John Knox goes back to Scotland to preach. And when he preaches, there's some great work that's done. And one of those things is that Parliament voted in 1959, August 17th, to approve the Protestant Confession calling Roman Catholicism an old system rotten to the core. Not because they just didn't like the Roman Catholic Church, but because it had led people from the gospel of Jesus Christ being the center to these indulgences and things of obligation, much like the circumcision party in Galatians 5. Now some of us may look at that and go, well, the Protestant Reformation has moved us. We're better. We know better. We're not there today. Well, let's just talk about that. How has legalism crept into the church today? I could name a litany of ways, and you can think of your own ways. Maybe you practice some of those in your own life. Maybe your church is doing that on its own. But I'm not here to sling stones. I want us to look at ourselves for a moment. Let's look at church attendance. I grew up in a Christian home, I've told you, and I'm very grateful on this Mother's Day for a mom who ensured that I was brought into the house of the Lord. Every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, that was the tradition. That's what we did every time the doors were open. We went to missions conferences. As a matter of fact, we went to other churches' missions conferences because I guess one's not enough every year. And so as we would go through this, my mom was making sure that me and my sisters... And of course, I know my dad's involved, but it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to give Mom all the credit. Mom is making sure that we're going to church. I remember days when I would say, oh, Mom, I just don't want to go. My stomach hurts. I'd make something up, right? And Mom would say, no, take some medicine. Let's go. You're going to church. And so we would go to church. Now, today I think upon that and I ask myself, well, could, could I be guilty of making that teaching, which is a very good teaching, legalism? And absolutely we could. We could take this and apply it to to church attendance to say, you know what? You are obligated to be at church every time the doors open. I don't think that's right. No, what's right is that we feel the tug of the Holy Spirit 
The Holy Spirit convicts us and moves us to want to be in fellowship with others. Wants, wants to go to church. That's what happens. Look at verse 4. You are severed from Christ, he says. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Verse 5. For though the Spirit, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul is saying what's helpful here in discerning between legalism and the gospel and making sure we're right is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of whether we should be in church. Not our peers. Not other brothers and sisters. Now the Holy Spirit may work through them, and that's a whole different conversation right now. But what I want us to understand is that we need to be very careful in obligating folks to things that the Bible does not obligate them to do. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. That's not at all what I'm saying. Hebrews tells us otherwise. We are to gather together to encourage. But we come together on the Lord's Day. What about the other things that we open the church for? Are we obligated to go to those things? Let me put it another way. Are these things obligatory for being a Christian? That's my point. And the answer is no. For entrance into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. See how easily we can move from grace to the law when we begin to think of things as obligations. I'm a Christian, I must do this. I think we get it backwards. We do those things because the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to do those things. We don't do them so that we may become Christians or that we may one day be saved We're not earning God's favor in any way. Now, in the wake of COVID-19, we have this dilemma as leaders of the church, as all churches do right now. Do do we come together? Do we wait? When do we come back together? When when is it safe? Do we listen to the government? Does the government set the um, parameters for the church? In our tradition, in the ARP, we have a very um, realistic, I think, perspective on this, which we draw a big distinction between the church and the state. You can trace that back in our history to the Bible. And so for us, it's even more of a dilemma, because we are listening to the government. And I think rightly, we are obeying our leaders. But where is that line of appeasing the government? And neglecting what God has taught us to come together. Are we obeying God rather than man or man rather than God? How do we know these things? It's very easy for us to say, well, here's what you do. Here's the law. Here's the regulation. But the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability as leaders to know when we are not faithful to God. He convicts us of our sin. He gives us the opportunity to repent and to yet again receive His grace and His mercy. It's not as simple as we should all be back to worship. It's not as simple as we can't go back to worship unless the government gives us the opportunity. It's not that simple. The reality is we have to be very careful of providing rules and regulations Because one could argue that we are not loving our neighbor if we are coming back together in an unsafe environment. The church today wrestles with many different 
facets of legalism. Again, I could go on and on. I would ask that you search your own heart and your own life and say, Lord, where have I confused law and gospel? Where have I been like this church in Galatia? Where I've looked away from being justified by Christ and His work and justified by the law. Throughout the history of the church, we see this this, uh, tendency to go back to this yoke of slavery, the, the law, the burden of the law. And the reality is we've been set free from that. And what I think Satan does in our life is to continually try and turn us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ back to these rules and regulations and to lift them up and to emphasize them so that we may turn away from the gospel. It's very hard for us to believe that something is free. In the American society today, nothing is free. But Paul starts out this passage for freedom Christ has set us free. What then is the Christian faith all about? If it's not about rules and regulations, what is it? Paul clearly lays this out in verse 5 and verse 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Christianity Christianity is about living in the Spirit. We're going to talk more about this as we go on. We're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to look at living in the Spirit. Those things are going to come. But first, before we do that, I want us to understand what's central and what's most important, which is the Gospel. The freedom that Christ brings in the work that He has accomplished for you and for me. That's important to gather. First and foremost, that's why Paul starts with this. That we're not putting other obligations on what Christ has done. For our salvation. We're not depending on ourselves. We're not depending on other things. We're not depending on our good works. Paul says we're waiting for the hope of righteousness. Faith, hope, and love in this passage. We're hoping in this righteousness that Christ has imputed to us. It's something not yet completely come to fruition. It has been freely given to us. That we have this right standing before God. We read about in Galatians 1. It's faith working through love. Look at that at the end of verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He didn't say it doesn't matter. He didn't say that God didn't institute it. He didn't say it's null and void. That's not what he's saying. It's that it doesn't count for anything in light of salvation. But only faith working through love. Faith working through love. And I want us to see this morning this idea of faith working through love as we close the sermon. Love for, from God for His people. How do we know that God loves us? That He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. That we know that Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead so that we may have eternal life. We know that and we believe that. That's what our faith is in, the work of Jesus Christ. That Christ's love for us is where we place our faith. So this morning, as we hear again about the freedom of Christ and the love that Christ has for us, His people, 
Our response isn't, what do I do now? How do I, how do I attain this? How do I grab this? No, our response is faith given by the Holy Spirit. As a church, as a body of believers, as people of God, what we need to do is to get back to this mentality of the gospel being central and foremost in all things. How does the church spread the gospel? How does the church uh, engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not the rules and regulations, not placing other obligations on them, this yoke of slavery. No, what we need to do is focus on the gospel. We need to focus on the gospel in our own life. We need to focus on this gospel and sharing it with others. And I think this happens when we first understand the love that Christ has for us. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, one of the ways that we can have a conversation with our neighbor about the gospel is to start loving them. To learn to love them. To look past their um, foibles, if you will. And to begin to love them as Christ loves us. We need to first be a people who live in light of the fact that Jesus loves us. Stop putting obligations on yourself that Christ has not imposed upon you. Stop looking to ways to earn your salvation when Christ offers it freely to you. And you can attain it through faith. Let us be a people of faith. Sometimes we just don't know how all these things work. We don't understand some of the theological language. We don't understand some of the the terms and and how things... The the reality is we don't need to. At the very basic level, while all those things are good and helpful in different ways, what we need to start with is understanding the gospel and the freedom that it brings. That it's God's grace given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else to be accomplished. There's nothing else to be done. And I think when we get that, we can understand Paul's exhortation here. Look at Paul's exhortation. It starts in the very first verse. If you ever wondered uh, in these first six verses what, what you should get out of it, here it is. Paul says, for, from, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What am I to do with all this, pastor? You are to stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the fact that what Christ has accomplished, it has sufficiently taken care of the wrath of God on your behalf. That you are no longer under the obligation to earn back anything, to to earn your way out of the punishment for sin. Stand firm in the fact that the gospel message brings freedom the work of christ brings freedom for you and me that's what you stand firm in not looking for something else to do not turning away saying no that gospel is not enough there must be something else brothers and sisters when we start focusing on the gospel let me just remind you what can happen in 1959 when john knox went back to scotland he was asked to come back and preach because the protestant uh, Protestants needed good preaching. They needed solid gospel preaching. 
They needed to get away from the church, so they invited Knox back, and he comes back and he preaches. And he begins to preach in opposition to this other obligation, these other things that are imposed on by the Roman Catholic Church, imposed on the people. And again, people are dying and being um, persecuted under these terms. But what John Knox does is preaches the gospel over and over I even visited, when I went to Scotland, one of the churches that he preached in early on, the St. John's Church of Perth. It was a very good service. We attended. It was good seeing the architecture. And I could almost imagine myself sitting there and listening. But when John Knox was preaching, as Queen Regent Mary was persecuting and killing Protestants, Knox was preaching faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thousands would come to Christ through the message of John Knox and through the moving of the Holy Spirit. And it even included 14 priests of St. Andrews would turn from this legalism, this idea of this yoke, this burden of the law, and looking to the freedom of Christ. And they would become Christians. Brothers and sisters, what happens when we begin to focus on the gospel is people are brought into the kingdom. Lives are changed. People are transformed. They understand there's no longer this yoke placed upon them. But that the love of Christ conquers everything in their life. The love of Christ gives them this freedom. And the work of Christ appeases the wrath of God so that they may live. And that they may have eternal life. In the end, the gospel message is what we offer. The gospel message is God's way of drawing people to himself. And if we are more about rules and regulations, then we are distracted and turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the end, my prayer is that we would love. We would love our neighbor enough to share the gospel. We would love ourselves like Christ loves us and receive the gospel. Because after all, love conquers all. Rest in that today. Rest in the love of Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, O Lord, for Your Word. We praise You. We praise You for this time You've given us, even being distant in a way, that You're giving us this opportunity to come and to hear Your Word. To learn, again, the Gospel to hear it, the good news, that there are no further obligations, that you have accomplished all things on our behalf. Lord, teach us today to rest completely in that. To realize salvation comes through faith. Faith in you and you alone. Lord, if we are looking to other things for our salvation, we ask that you would turn us back to you. May we repent of our sins, O Lord. And love you as you love us. Teach us to love our neighbor as you love us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Happy Mother's Day. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. That again the gospel is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And that your faith again is placed in him. Now receive the benediction. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in all your troubles and darkness, remember what you are and what you have. You have been loved with an everlasting love. 
You are supported by everlasting arms. You are recipients of everlasting life and heirs of an everlasting kingdom, all sealed and made sure by the blood of an everlasting covenant. Amen. Thank you.